Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated, and if you need to shift, if the sun's hitting you funny, feel free to shift or move a row um, as we're getting started this morning. Uh, But almost a decade ago, Rolling Stones magazine had an interview with Stephen King. I actually happen to like Stephen King quite a bit. He's a good writer. And they had several questions about death and life after death. They asked Stephen King, do you hope to go to heaven? Do you know what he said? He said, I don't want to go to heaven, at least not the one I learned about when I was a kid. It seems boring. The idea you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day playing the harp forever? No, thank you. I don't want to listen to harps. I want to listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. (laughs) That was Stephen King. And his idea of life after death is floating around on the clouds playing the harp forever. What do you think? Do you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoons? And they would have someone die, and whenever they would die, a shimmering shade of them would just ascend, uh, playing a harp, ready to go to the clouds, their soul leaving their body. It's a good Looney Tunes image. It's a good Hollywood idea, but is that what we find in the Bible? No. No. Deacon Joe is correct. We are in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. We want to see what's the Lord tell us. What does Paul tell us about our hope when we die? Uh, The overall teaching of Paul and the New Testament and the Bible is that when we die, Christians go to be with the Lord. We don't know a ton about that, but we know it's good, and we know who we're with, right? Right? In Philippians, Paul wrote, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. The thief on the the cross, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Those who die in the Lord go to be with the Lord. But that's not the end of the biblical story or even the extent of our personal hope. The, The hope of the New Testament is that eventually as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, that God's kingdom will come fully and finally. His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this coming kingdom is launched by, by Jesus. It's secured by his life, death, and resurrection. And we'll see it in its fullness when Christ comes again. That God will redeem and renew and transform all things through his Son, including us. Flooding everything uh, with glory. Uh, You probably heard that word over and over in our reading, glory, honor, such that God will be all in all, as we read last week, or in the book of Revelation, one of the last chapters of the Bible, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Or as we say in the creeds, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We don't understand it fully, but we understand that our best chance for uh, getting a little bit of an anchor on this future hold is thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. That's key for Paul. That whatever hope we have for ourselves when we die, or even uh, for everything, when God's purposes are summed up, they're tied and tethered to the resurrection of Jesus. And so rooting our understanding that way, which Paul's been doing in this complex chapter, we still have some huge questions. Okay, so what's that like? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, The resurrection, our future resurrection, both its form 
and its fuel. Those are the two things to talk about, the form and the fuel. So first, the form of the resurrection, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 43. And remember, Paul's doing, uh, he started the chapter with some foundational repair theologically, wanting to make sure they understand the gospel. The earliest creed of the early church, that Jesus died and rose again for our sins according to the scriptures. And he says, I didn't make this up. <laughs> uh, this is the gospel we all proclaim. He's faithfully unoriginal. And he says, actually, there's like 500 people who saw this. And so if you want to go fact check me, go talk to them. We're not making this up. And many of those same witnesses, um, people did go. And they checked up on them. And they said, hey, can you deny this or we will put you to death? They said, no, it happened. Uh, Lord, help us, it happened. And so we have that witness of the early church that something occurred. It was personal for Paul. He's walked us through that, but then we get to verse 35. People get specific. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? It's a good question, right? Is it like the Looney Tunes shade? Is it what Stephen King thought? What will it be like? Uh, Eugene Peterson has a little paraphrase translation called The Message, and he's a little cheeky uh, in the way he paraphrases this. He says, some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? He goes on, if you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no, are no diagrams for this kind of thing. No diagrams, no picture, but the world has seen it, and it's seen it in the risen Lord Jesus. And the example that he gives us, this isn't like Lazarus. You remember Lazarus in the Gospels? Jesus' friend, he died. They placed him in a tomb. They rolled the stone. Jesus comes, take it away. Hey, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. Well, Lazarus, friends, he's resuscitated. He's brought back to life. He's not resurrected in the way that we will be or that Lazarus will be. Because uh, he, he's resuscitated back to life, lives his life, uh, dies again. Something different is happening with the resurrection. Lazarus is still waiting on it. And Paul would tell us that the resurrection of Jesus uh, was bodily. It's physical. And he would say our resurrection similarly is bodily. It's physical. Uh, there's continuity with what we experience now, but there's also, there's difference. So Paul uses this analogy of a seed. A seed, simple idea, right? You plant a seed in the ground, something comes up. Is it the seed? Well, it came from there. There's, it's not not the seed, but there's something more. He says the resurrection is kind of like that, that somehow our bodies are sown and they'll be raised with honor. And there's, it, you know, it's, it's, still the, it's still that, it's still bodily, but it's more. It's grander, it's glorious, it's bigger. He writes in verse 37, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, as I've said, is who helped me kind of wrap my head around this. Uh, his really good book, Surprised by Hope, says, yeah, there's no diagram. No one's drawn us a picture, uh, but we have a, a prototype, if you will. We have a, a sneak preview 
a trailer on this movie that is to come. He writes, The Risen Jesus is both the model for the Christian's future body and the means by which it comes about. His friend Richard Hayes says the analogy of the seed enables Paul to walk a fine line, asserting both the radical transformation of the body in its resurrected state and yet its organic continuity with the mortal body that preceded it. I always think about those strange resurrection accounts of Jesus where they see him and sometimes they recognize him and sometimes they don't, right? Um, Apparently, I mean, come on, we're St. Thomas Anglican Church after all. Apparently, he still has scars from his crucifixion. How odd. That in this process of transformation and resurrection and renewal, his scars remain, but I imagine they're bathed in glory. And they're beautiful because of what they accomplished. In the Anglican Church in North America, we have a catechism. It's a teaching document. Um, You can find it on the ACNA's website, and I actually think it's best to find it on a website because you can download a PDF and you can search the PDF if you have a question. It works better as kind of a Google catechism than it does trying to read it straight through. It's not that kind of a document. But the catechism says, here's what we know about these, the resurrection of the dead, the life of the world to come. The catechism says, I know that these bodies will match, express, and serve our redeemed humanity and be fully renewed in the image of Christ, being fully glorified in him. Verses 42 and 43 give us some more clues of what's happening. That we'll live eternally with God. That what is raised is imperishable. It will never die again. I will share in the Lord's glory and honor. What a gift of grace. Um, It's clear that this is not uh, aimless or purposeless. Uh, We're going to have something to do. Uh, There will be an energy, um, a power, a purpose to the resurrection, the life of the world to come. And our contemplation of these facts and this great hope should serve us, should give us uh, the ability to persevere through sin and pain and suffering that we experience now, not as a dangling carrot, but as a real and sure and certain hope, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Our catechism says it should encourage us. It says, I know that it will be a life of joyful fellowship with our triune God, and with resurrected believers as we praise and serve God together in the new heaven and the new earth. It says, I should live in joyful expectation of the fullness of my transformation into the likeness of Christ as a part of the renewal of the whole creation in the midst of life's difficulty and suffering in the face of hostility and even persecution for my faith. I'm sustained by this hope and the knowledge of our triune God's eternal love for me. So the point about the form is not endless speculation, but to just know this will be bodily, that it's linked to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and that it's meant to give us the ability to dwell forever in relationship with God and one another. That's the form of the resurrection of the dead, the life of the world to come. So let's talk about the fuel a little bit, verses 44 uh, through 49, what sustains it. Um, And to help us kind of get at this, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, My wife Holly and I, we have owned many different vehicles over almost 20 years of marriage. 
Um, I, was, I was thinking back. We bought them new, bought them used, even received some vehicles as gifts. Uh, the next vehicle we get, this, this, I still can't wrap my head around this, but um, our son, who is 15 and a half, will turn 16 this summer, and so we'll need to get another vehicle. Um, thanks be to God, our 15-year-old Prius somehow still going, so he's going to get that, of course. <laughs> he can just bumper car all over Athens with that thing, uh, learn how to do it. But we need to get a new vehicle. Um, and it's interesting to just kind of catalog the vehicles you've had, whether you've been driving for a while, you've been married for a long time. And, and, and if this hasn't happened to you yet, uh, it probably will. Um, in the course of owning vehicles, you're probably going to have a vehicle that's taken from you too soon. <laughs> a vehicle that you love that's gone in an instant. We had one of those. We had this vehicle we bought early in our marriage, and we loved it. We thought we would still be driving it right now. But I was going through an intersection. I had a green light. That's how to go through intersections, of course. Um, and someone coming the other direction had a red light. Not how you go through intersections, but he tried to go through the intersection. And just, bam, T-boned me. The whole right side. Um, it was a newer vehicle. I think they repaired it for $13,000. Not a total loss somehow. But it was never quite right. And so eventually we turned it in. I said, hey, we just before this thing just totally um, doesn't work, let's get some value out of it. Um, and the thing we loved is that it was a, a Volkswagen Jetta wagon. You ever seen a little Jetta wagon? And not only that, I mean, it was cool. It had this little hatchback, and we felt like we were sporty. Our dog could go in the back, go to the dog park, the whole deal. But um, it had within it a TDI engine turbo diesel engine, which meant when we would drive from Dallas to Atlanta, we would fill up once in Mississippi. And we thought we were geniuses. This was like before Priuses had even come out. We had like hacked it. We had figured out fuel. And so we loved this thing, this little TDI Jetta wagon. We thought it would run forever. The only problem owning a Jetta wagon with a TDI engine, so you had to be really careful at the gas station. Because if you took the regular unleaded and put it in the Jetta, which you could do if you're used to filling up cars, I mean, it just looks like a car, right? Well, it would turn into a big paperweight. <laughs> and the whole thing would lock up, and you would have to get it flushed and cleansed so it wouldn't ruin the engine. You see, it ran on a different kind of fuel, with a different kind of engine. I think that's helpful. Verse 44 tells us about this body. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And these verses are so tricky uh, to translate. You can see Paul's balancing these ideas. Even in, in, you know, as we translate it from Greek, we're trying to wrap words around how our present existence and reality relates to this future hope. Bishop N.T. Wright here again is so helpful. He says many versions will translate these as physical body and spiritual body, um, like this one. He says that can be a little misleading. Paul is making a contrast uh, simply between what we call a body, that is a physical object, and what we might call a spiritual object, non-physical. And we think that, okay, this is just, this is like Plato, right? This is a body and spiritual, totally separate. He says, no. That's what we might assume, but Paul's not doing that at all. 
The way this is constructed, actually, he's making a difference between a body animated by one type of life and a body animated by another type of life. A body that's animated by things physical and a body animated by things spiritual. It says the, the difference is what the two bodies run on. The present body is animated by the normal life which all humans share. But the body that we should be given in the resurrection is animated by God's own spirit. That's what it runs on. That's its fuel. Um, I think about our, our Jetta wagon. It ran on a different kind of fuel altogether. Um, or think about, uh, I, I don't, is anyone here big on boating? Anyone? We don't have water really around here, do we? You can like canoe out in a pond or something. I don't know, run some rapids. Um, every now and then I'll meet someone that's really into sailing. You can ask them about the different ways that boats are animated, what they run on. He says, well, you can have a sailboat. You can have a rowboat, right? What's a rowboat do? It's just effort. You're stirring the water. You're moving in tandem. What's a sailboat? Well, you're trying to catch the wind. And that powers it. Those are two different ways to move a boat. One by the wind, one by our efforts. They run on different things. And Paul says that our future hope, our bodily resurrection, what's well, going to run on a different fuel? It's going to be animated by the Holy Spirit. And so our key question, I think, one, just after we kind of clarify our future hope, what we're waiting on, just to go, hey, if we're waiting to kind of have eternal life run based on the fuel of the Holy Spirit, well, guess what? We can start running on that now. We can rely on the Holy Spirit now that will animate and fuel the life of the world to come, or we can just rely on our own strength. Be fueled by what is natural. There's a way to live that seems natural, the fuel of this life. And Paul would say that's the way of sin and death. There's a way to live that's like rowing a boat, relying on our own resources. And we end up exhausted and frustrated, we'll burn out. In fact, there's nothing more frustrating and counterintuitive than trying to live the Christian life relying on our own natural resources and strength. That's like putting regular fuel in a diesel Jetta wagon. It'll lock up. It won't work. In fact, it'll ruin the whole thing. Because you're just trying to put uh, two things together that don't belong together. The wisdom embedded in this complex passage is the Holy Spirit fuels this. The life of the world to come and all of its fullness and glory has already begun. And we can rely and run on the Holy Spirit now. So many were taught that the Christian life involves just inviting Jesus into our heart and waiting to go float on those clouds. The broader teaching in the New Testament, we have a great hope, tethered to the resurrection of Jesus, but even now, we can invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill and dwell and empower us for the work God has given us to do, to practice resurrection now, to begin living the life of the world to come, still waiting its fullness. That's the, the broader picture of the New Testament. And again, if you try to live this life without the Holy Spirit, if we try to do church without the Holy Spirit, try to serve on mission and minister without the Spirit, Man, you're going to brick the whole thing. 
just like putting that wrong kind of gasoline into a Jetta. It won't run, it'll lock up. That's not how it's designed to do. And so for each one of us, the personal presence and work and indwelling and fruit of the Holy Spirit is the first fruit of our own renewed, redeemed, eternal life with God, the down payment of our redemption. So that's my big takeaway, is to make sure I have a clear picture of what is the church always taught about our future hope, and then live in light of that now, calling on the Holy Spirit to come and fill and indwell us. And so may the Lord fill us each with his Spirit. May the Lord fill our church with his Spirit. May the Lord give us the grace to rely on his strength and his power rather than our own strength, our own fuel, as we're so tempted to do. Amen.